I hope this finds you doing well, and uh, we are getting ready to start uh, kind of a new aspect of the podcast. We have looked mostly in uh, the book of Genesis for the last little while. We've spent a lot of time looking at Abraham and his life and all that was going on with him, and we finished that up in the last episode, and now uh, we're going to continue kind of the same uh, mindset in looking at people, if you will, but we're going to go into the New Testament, and we're going to look at a lot of, I don't like using the word familiar stories, but a lot of the stories that people are uh, probably used to hearing, and we're going to try to dive a little bit deeper into them, and look at some of the things that maybe we we just overlook. I think one of the things that happens when we read Scripture a lot of times is, especially if it's something we're familiar with, we read it too quickly. And we already know kind of the highlights of the passage of Scripture. And so we just kind of read through and we hit those highlights And we don't really sit down and look at the context of really what's going on. We don't look at the aspect of uh, the people that are involved. And the reason why I think this this aspect of studying Scripture, like we've done so far with uh, Adam and Eve and Noah uh, and Abraham, and we're going to continue doing with certain uh, people in Scripture, is because... If we understand salvation for what it is, salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means there is um, some, if you want to call it, uh, some some human aspect of it from, from our perspective to understand this, this relationship. And when we look at Scripture, we see that there's the human aspect of it. And I think oftentimes... We can so over-spiritualize the people that we read that we miss out that they were real. Uh, We miss out on the fact that they were human beings who had feelings, that had emotions, that were suffering, um, that dealt with many of the same things that we deal with. Um, And I think the reason why that's so important is because understanding the people that we read about in Scripture, to, and, and it sounds almost ridiculous to say it this way, but to, to look at them as real, to look at them as being able to, um, to, to understand them, it helps us in our faith. It helps us in our prayers uh, to know that there's not a lot of difference between us. The only thing that really separates us from the people we're reading about in Scripture is time. It's the time frame in which they lived. Um, when we sit down and we look at these passages of Scripture concerning uh, people that may be healed or people that are coming to Jesus with a need, uh, it's no different than when we come to Jesus with a need. Um, and I think that part of that is, is important for us to understand because when we come to Jesus in prayer, the only thing that is different, if you want to use that terminology, is that when we're reading about Scripture here, Jesus uh, had taken on human form. And 
he was able to be with the people. But when we understand Scripture, you know, when, when Jesus said that it, it's meant for him to go away, but that he would send a comforter, um, and, you know, that comforter uh, would be with us. And we understand that when we pray, um, that we're able to communicate, if you will, with Jesus just as easily as they were here. The only difference is, is we don't have that human form of Jesus right here with us. And so what it does is it, when we're able to, I don't want to say again, we humanize the scripture, but when we look at the human beings that are uh, in the scripture, it gives us more perspective. It helps us to understand that our spirituality, that our salvation, that the one who we have our faith in, in Jesus, that this stuff is not something that is is far off, it's out of reach, but it's right here. And so I think those are things important for us to understand as we get ready to dive in. And in Matthew chapter 8, that's where we're going to be at. We're going to start here in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 4. That's all we're going to look at is four verses. And it says at the beginning, when he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, we're going to look at two specific people in the story, if you will. We're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at the leper. And I think one of the things that we have to keep in perspective is that we need to understand Jesus' perspective. And and I'll tell you why. I think so often this is that aspect that we just kind of read through. All right, we just read through the fact that Jesus is, if you will, in this story. But we have to understand that if you go, and I think one of the best passages you can you can kind of go to to help understand this is in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, uh, and I'll read that to you. Let me flip over here. It says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to a point of, the de- a point of death, even the death of the cross. And that verse lets us realize that he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And we have to understand that Jesus, he dealt with the same things that we deal with. He dealt with being tired. He dealt with being hungry. He dealt with being overwhelmed. Uh, He dealt with being just mentally wore out. He dealt with a lot of these things. And I think that that context is so important for us to understand because at the beginning of chapter 8 here, it says, when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, understand he has just got done preaching one of his most well-known sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, it really starts all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, and we see that Jesus taught about uh, the Beatitudes. He taught about prayer. He taught about Uh, what believers are supposed to do. He taught about marriage. He taught about adultery. He taught about, excuse me, loving your enemies. Um, he, He taught about fasting. He taught about all of these different things. And he has been just emptying himself. Now, we have to look that after a full day, if you will, of teaching, 
Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He's not had a moment to himself yet. He's not had a moment to where he could relax. He's not had a moment away from the people. And look here, it says great multitudes followed him. So not only has he spent the whole entire day with these people and teaching these people, now he's coming down from the mountain, probably wanting to just relax a little bit because he's just spent this whole time emptying himself. And all of these crowds are following him. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't like that Jesus was walking and all of these crowds were just kind of, you know, walking 20 yards behind him, all of them in peace and quiet. You got to understand, all of these people were trying to get their moment of Jesus. When they're coming off of this mountain, you've probably got all kinds of people that are, are hollering out his name. They are trying to rush up to him and ask him questions about maybe certain family members that are sick. This is not one of those things to where Jesus is able to walk down the mountain in peace and quiet. This is Jesus coming down the mountain after just expending all of himself teaching. And all of these people are trying to get their moment with Jesus. This has got to be tiring. This has got to be one of those things where Jesus... And again, I think the problem that we do is we sit here and we so over-spiritualize the human side of Jesus, that Jesus just constantly walked around excited to heal people and excited to, to do all of these things. Jesus had on the human form and he got tired. He got wore out. And I'm sure there was times to where he just wanted to have his five minutes to just take a deep breath and just say, gosh, almighty, can I just be able to just have a moment for myself? Because people were constantly trying to get at him. And that's really what was taking place here. And then in the midst of all of this, he's got all of these people that are hollering for his attention. He's just got done, you know, expending himself with all of this teaching for a full day. And then here comes a leper in verse 2. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, what we have to understand is, again, the context here. All right. If we go back and we look, especially in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, a leper was required to be isolated from society. And the disease of leprosy could spread. And the disease of leprosy, there was really no way of being healed from it unless God intervened. It wasn't like there was a... Um, some type of balm or some kind of cream or, or anything of that nature that they could put on to be able to heal themselves from it. It was just one of those things to where, you know, people, if they got it, they were isolated from their families. There was leper colonies, and they would be put in that. And, and basically, if you ended up with leprosy, you ended up with some type of, you almost want to, you don't want to call it this way, but you ended up in a death camp. Because it was just a an area where you ended up with other lepers and you were not able to have contact with your family or anything anymore. Because you were given, if you will, this death sentence without there being a cure. So, here you got these large crowds and this leprous man comes up in the middle of all of this. I mean, there had to be, I mean, just imagine this scene. Uh, 
I mean, and, and I don't know that we can because many of us have never seen leprosy. Many of us have never seen um, the effects of leprosy and how grotesque it could be. Um, the only analogy that we could possibly say is that we were in this big old huge large crowd of people and all of a sudden someone come up and they were, uh, you know, they were kind of covered in blood. It would just cause everyone to just be taken aback for a minute and gasp and, you know, oh my goodness. That's kind of the, the scenario here. And this man just came up to Jesus in the middle of all of this crowd and I think that there's a lot of things that are very important for us to understand here. First of all, I think we need to understand that this man, he recognized his condition. He recognized that he had leprosy and he had a death sentence. And he didn't care about the crowd. He didn't care that there was a crowd gathered around. This man was focused on his condition. You know, this is this is a beautiful picture of salvation. That we don't need to care what people think. If we're unsaved, we need to get to Jesus. It doesn't matter what other people think about us. This man right here, he could have been, I'm sure that he could have been stoned because he was putting so many people in jeopardy with his leprosy. I mean, for him to go into this crowd with a contagious disease, I'm sure he could have been stoned. I'm sure that there was a law somewhere because, you know, the Pharisees and the lawmakers were so good at just making up laws as we can go back and read in the Old Testament. I'm sure they had a law somewhere that if they, a leprous person uh, entered a crowd that they could be stoned so that way they didn't end up, con- you know, bringing, uh, spreading the disease to other people. I'm, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me to find that out because this man was putting everybody else in jeopardy because of his horrible condition. He understood that if I don't get to Jesus, I'm going to die. And that's what sin is. Sin is one of those things to where, you know, if an unsafe person does not get to Jesus, they're facing eternal death. But look at the way the man came. The leper came to Jesus and worshipped him. Notice the condition of his heart. It was worshipful. His heart was not bitter. His heart was not angry. His heart was not feeling sorry for himself and sorry for his condition. I mean, this man could have sat down and said, You know what? Oh, woe is me. Look at me. Look what I've got. I didn't get this. I didn't deserve this. He wasn't looking at his condition like that. He was looking at his condition in light of Jesus. And how do I know that? Because he came with a worshipful heart. See, he had a heart of worship, though he was suffering and isolated. We don't know for sure that this man lived in an isolated colony. We don't know how long this man had had leprosy. We don't know a lot of those things. So we can't really hypothesize about that. But we do know that this man had leprosy. And he calls Jesus Lord. Now, that's important. Because he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He didn't call him rabbi. And he didn't call him teacher. He didn't call him prophet. See, a lot of times when you you go through and you read these passages of Scripture, uh, the person who is coming to Jesus will call him rabbi or teacher. 
And yes, Jesus was a teacher, but Jesus is most of all Lord. And the idea of Lord is surrender. See, to call Jesus Lord means that you are willing to surrender to his lordship. That's what salvation is. Salvation is me saying, I surrender my life and my heart to Jesus as Lord of my life. And this man, this leper, comes to Jesus and, and he calls him Lord. He says, I'm, I'm surrendering myself. So we see that, that this leper comes, number one, with a worshipful heart, and number two, with a surrendered heart. So this is very significant in light of the situation. Here's the other thing. He didn't ask for healing. He didn't come to Jesus and say, I need you to heal me. Again, notice the language here. See, a lot of times when we sit down and I think we're all guilty of this. Think about the times that we come to Jesus in prayer. When we come to Jesus in prayer, and maybe, that you know, we can use this scenario. Let's say there is a sickness. We come to Jesus in prayer, and it's, it's almost like we immediately go to that. We need Jesus' healing. I mean, we, we just kind of go straight for that. We don't come with a worshipful heart. We don't come with a surrendered heart. When we come to God in prayer so often, we forget the whole aspect of a worshipful heart and a surrendered heart, and we just go straight to, I need you to do this, Jesus. We're not, we're not coming with the right mindset and the right heart. This guy has got a death sentence on him. If there is anyone who should come to Jesus with an immediacy of, I need you to do something, it's this guy. Because he has no hope other than God intervening. He has no hope. But yet, that was not his number one priority when he came to Jesus. His number one priority was worshiping and being surrendered. See, look what he says here. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say, Lord, I need you to heal me. Lord, I need you to make me clean. He came to him with a worshipful heart and he said, Lord, I know you are able. See, that's the idea of him being surrendered here. That's why he calls him Lord. This is what Quarrel says about it. He says, his confidence in Jesus' ability to heal, his condition, hints that his act of worship involved full recognition of Jesus' deity. After all, only God was capable of healing a leper, according to the Old Testament. And we see that in Exodus chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, Numbers chapter 12, verses 10 through 16, and 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. So as Quirrell stated here, this guy may have had some type of understanding of the Old Testament scripture because he understands only God can heal leprosy. And so what he does is he recognizes there's something different about Jesus. There, that's why he calls him Lord. He, said, he recognizes there's something different about this guy. Now, we have no idea how he knows about Jesus. We have no idea if he's heard about Jesus, if he's heard about healings. We don't know anything up to that point. All we know is that this guy comes and apparently has a mindset that only God can heal. And this guy, Jesus, has some type of connection to God. 
I don't know that we can full out say that this guy believes that Jesus is, you know, uh, God incarnate in the flesh. I don't know that. But we do know that by calling him Lord, he understands that there is something special, some type, and I don't like using that word connection, but some type of connection with God. And he doesn't ask for healing. He just says, Lord, I know that you can. See, a worshipful heart and a surrendered heart leads to a confident heart. See, this man doesn't come feeling sorry for himself, weeping and boohooing and doing the whole, uh, you know, God, I don't know why I'm in this situation. I'm so tired of suffering. Uh, Lord, can't you see what's going on in my life? Uh, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? I didn't deserve this. I've tried to serve you. He didn't do any of that. He just comes with a worshipful heart, a surrendered heart, acknowledging Jesus for who he is, calling him Lord, and that led to a confidence in him saying, Lord, I know you can heal me, but it's if it's your will. See, that's the difference. And instead of, and see, this is why, uh, you know, Jesus makes this comment talking about uh, prayer when he says that oftentimes the Gentiles come with their vain repetitions and things of that nature. And, And what happens a lot of times is that we think that the more that we say the same thing over and over again, or the more that we come and we beg for uh, Jesus' healing, then that's when he's going to give it to us. Here's the thing we need to understand. And again, we have to look at things from an earthly standpoint because that's all we have. I've tried, I'll give you an example with my, my own uh, boys. One of the things that as a parent I really don't care for is begging. You know what I mean if you're a parent. You go to the store and, you know, your kids are excited about a toy or whatever it may be. And they simply ask you and they say, hey, dad, can I get this action figure? No, not right now. You you just got one not long ago. We're we're not going to get another toy right now. But, dad, this is the only time. and, and, And you... You say no again, but then it's just like they continue on and they think that if they just keep wearing you down, that you're eventually going to do something. Well, do we realize that we do the same thing to God in prayer? We think that what we're going to do is wear God down by saying the same things over and over again in prayer. And he's eventually going to give in to us. That's not how God works, guys. That's not the way that prayer should work. Because here's the thing, and this again is is very bad terminology because when when we're, we're, we're trying to talk about an issue concerning God, it seems ridiculous to use human language and human understanding and human examples because, you know, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God's ways are far above our ways, but this is the only way we can truly understand it. And so, you know, you say it this way. When the conditions are right, when my children come to me and say, Hey, Dad, can we get this? The answer will usually be yes. And what I mean when the conditions are right, you know, from, from the standpoint, and again, the toy example is, 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 is a ludicrous example, but that's the only one that I can kind of come up with right now. But when my kids come to me and, you know, let's just say that the conditions are right and they ask me for a toy, it's like, yeah. 
But there's certain times that it's just not the right time. Maybe right now, financially, it's not a smart decision to buy toys. Maybe it's one of those things that they've already gotten toys over the last couple times, and you know they don't, they don't, they need to understand that no is a valid answer, and that they don't need to get yes every single time. Because if you give them the answer yes every single time, you spoil them to death. But you're also teaching them to manage money. And that's not a bad thing. So when you sit down and you talk to them and say, listen, you all just got a toy not long ago. You need to learn to save your money and understand that you just don't spend your money regularly. See, there's times that you can teach your children lessons by saying no. It's not that you're saying no because you want to, to be a bad parent or because, you know, by saying no, you're, you're keeping things from your children. Sometimes saying no is the most important thing you can do because it teaches your children valuable lessons for later on. And see, what we do is we think that if I just come and I beg God enough, then he's going to do. But, you know, if God tells me no, then the reason he tells me no is because, you know, he's upset at me or I didn't read my Bible enough or, you know, God's not a good God. Sometimes God's telling us no because it's more beneficial for us to be told no because of something that's going to happen later in life. And see, what what we don't realize is the answer is not always going to be yes, and we don't need to continue praying over and over and over and over and over for the same exact thing. What we need to do is we need to take our concerns to God in prayer and then sit and listen. But what we do is we get into this whole idea of, I'm going to come to God in prayer. Well, I didn't hear from Him, so five minutes later, I'm going to come to Him in prayer again. I didn't hear from Him, so I'm going to go beg Him again. And guys, it's not about begging God. I promise you, if, if God gave us His only begotten Son in order to pay for our sin debt, I promise you, God is not trying to keep things from you. If He gave us His very best in order to redeem us, I promise you that God is going to move. But notice what it is. If you are willing, you can make me clean. See, we have to understand that my life and my conditions and my suffering is part of the plan of God. And I don't know what's going to happen in my life. You know, I look at my life over the last year, and I've not understood a whole lot of things that's happened. I don't understand why I was put in some of the situations that I was put in. But I'll give you an example of what happened to me yesterday. I was sitting at work yesterday, and I had this gentleman. I hadn't. I had taken some vacation days um, before I ended up uh, taking my final day at work yesterday. And in my vacation days, I well, of course wasn't there. Well, I got there yesterday morning, and there was this gentleman who came up to me, and he said, "Are you the Are you the preacher?" I said, "Well, yes, I am. I am a, a, a pastor." And he said. I've been waiting for three days for you to come, uh, for you to get back to work so I could talk to you. And I said, really? I said, what's that about? He said, I really need someone to pray with me. And I need someone who I know is going to pray with me to pray with me. Now, I don't, I don't say that to do a pat on the back kind of thing. It's, it's not at all. What I'm saying is, could it be something as simple as this? That here's a gentleman who is in a difficult situation... And I sit down and say, you know, God, why have you got me in this situation? And then all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me, and it's for me to be able to pray with him. See, we don't look at the simplicity of the things that God has got in store for us on a regular basis. We don't. I got to talk to more people yesterday on my last day of work about God working in my life over the last year, about God's uh, movement 
of taking me from where I'm at right now to getting ready to take us to Georgia, accepting a pastorship at a church in Georgia, and how God has moved in that situation over the last year, talking about my relationship with the Lord, and talking about different things concerning what God is doing yesterday than I have in so long. Could it be that over the last year that I've been questioning so many things that what God has done is He done all of that in order for me to be able to have an opportunity to minister to these people? See, that's the thing that we have to understand is the no that I got six months ago when I was praying was not a no because God was upset at me or God was punishing me or because I had sin in my life, nothing like that. What it could have been was God was saying, no, I'm not going to do this, what you're praying for right now, because I've got something more important that I need you to do. See, that's the most difficult thing that we deal with in our prayer life is that we're trying to pray and we want God to immediately move in our lives because we want Him to remove the suffering when God says, I need you to do this because something better is happening over here that you can't see yet. And the most difficult thing that we have to do is accept the no in the moment for the yes that's going to come later. And that is such a difficult thing for us to handle. It really is. And so we're sitting here, and this guy is not coming up to Jesus saying, God, I need you to heal me in order for me to worship you. This guy's coming and saying, God, I'm going to worship you even if you're not going to heal me. That is huge. I'm going to worship you even if you won't heal me. See, for most people who call themselves Christians today, they will only worship God if He's healed. I'll give you an example of what I'm saying. It is amazing how many times that you talk to people or you see people on social media that have talked about someone needing healing, someone's in the hospital, someone's been sick, someone's had a difficult situation, and... They have asked people to be praying and then they post later on on social media or you talk to them later on and God, you know, apparently may have moved. Uh, The person was healed. The prayer was answered. And don't they usually always make this comment? God is good. I'm going to ask a question and it's going to sound absolutely ludicrous. When was the last time God was good when he didn't answer the prayer and someone passed away? I have yet to see someone post on social media that we've been praying for my family member to be healed, but they weren't, and yet God is still good. See, I've not seen that, because what we have done in our American Christianity is God is only good when God does what I want Him to do, and God answers the prayers. When God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want Him to, and something in our perspective negative happens... We start questioning God and we want to know why God let this happen to us. We don't look at it as God is good. We look at it as God didn't answer my prayers and someone may have sin in their life. Someone has done this or done that. Guys, God is good regardless of whether he answers my prayers or not. And that's what this leper is teaching us. This leper is saying, God, I will worship you even if you don't cure me of my death sentence. But then Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. Look in verse 3. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Guys, in order for leprosy to spread, it is spread through contact. 
Jesus is not only having this leper come into his presence, but Jesus is going to reach out and touch the man that has leprosy. Jesus says, not only am I going to heal you, but I'm going to give you something you've not had, human contact. See, this leper could not have anyone to touch him. Because if someone touched him, they could catch the leprosy. So we're seeing two things here. Please note this. Number one, Jesus is validating his claim of lordship. This man come to Jesus and said, Lord, he is giving Jesus the proper respect of his deity in him being God in the flesh. And so by Jesus touching this man, Jesus is saying, I can't get your leprosy because I'm God. So Jesus is validating what this man is saying in calling him Lord. That's the first thing. And then number two, Jesus is touching him and saying, listen, I love you. And I want you to know that this is personal. This is intimate. He's saying, I want you to know that I'm not going to... See, Jesus could have just stood back and said, yeah, okay, be healed. No, Jesus says, I want you to know that I want to personally get involved in your situation. And Jesus touches the man and heals the man. And then Jesus says in verse 4, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Why did Jesus say this? Notice what Coral says. By being inspected and declared clean by the priest, the healed man could authenticate the miracle that Jesus performed. So by Jesus telling him what he did and the man going to the priest, now the priest was able to validate that, okay, this man is healed, which now gives the lordship to Jesus because this man could, the priest would say, well, you know, what happened? And this man now has a testimony and he could say, you know what? I went to this man named Jesus and Jesus healed me. So by him claiming that Jesus healed him, he is now claiming that Jesus is God in the flesh. Oh my gosh, what a story this is. In four verses, look at what happened in all of this in just four verses. This is why it's so important to not read quantity, but quality in Scripture. Don't read quickly through Scripture. Read slowly. Read slowly and be able to take it all in for what it is. There is so much meat in these four verses here. And this is the other thing. Don't miss the human aspect in this. Don't. Do not miss the human aspect. Don't just read through this and take it for granted. I hope what this has been able to show you is how much meat is in these scriptures. So we'll get ready for uh, next week. I I hope that you uh, continue on. We're going to just go to the next passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. I encourage you to read down through those verses uh, of Jesus healing the centurion servant. That's where we're going to go in our next um, uh, podcast next week. And what we're going to try to do um, over the next little bit is we're going to try to do one podcast per week uh, in being able to uh, spend as much time as we can and then letting you be able to just go back through and maybe re-listen to the podcast again uh, so you can take some notes and stuff like that. Um, what this, what I'm hoping that, that takes place with this podcast is that it challenges you 
uh, to, to, to really delve into the hunger that comes from the Word. That you listen to the podcast and it just causes a hunger to well up within you. And you go back and you re-listen to it again in order to really kind of dive into the Scripture. I also encourage you to share it with somebody. Uh, share the, the what's going on in the Scripture with somebody. Tell them, hey, listen to this podcast. Not because it, uh, you know I'm looking for uh, notoriety, but because I want people to get a hunger for the Word. And if this is doing it for you, uh, it may help somebody else to have a hunger for the Word. So I encourage you, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, Anchor, whatever it may be, I encourage you to give this a five-star rating. So it, that way it'll it'll get out there a little bit more to, to more people and write a review on there. Uh, the more reviews that you write and the more uh, times that you rate it, uh, the more that the podcast will come up so people can be able to, to click on it. Uh, so that way people can hear the gospel message. And most of all, I pray that that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you would understand that the Bible says we're all sinners and we're all in need of a Savior, just like the leper. We're all in need of Jesus. And Jesus is willing uh, because He went to the cross and He died for our sins. He rose from the dead and He's coming back to get us. So I encourage you to find a Bible-believing Christian and talk to them about what it means to be saved. I pray you have a blessed day. We look forward to uh, catching up next week as we jump back into the Word and we look at uh, what Jesus is going to do in the book of Matthew. Have a blessed day and go share the gospel with somebody today.